Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another episode of the Dr. Will Show. As I interview educators and entrepreneurs on leveling up, each episode I bring in someone who's dope and we just sit back and have a conversation on what it means to live your best life. Now, if this is your first time checking out the podcast, this is the Mobile University for Entrepreneurs and I'm your host, Dr. Will. Today's guest is Jennifer Lemetra. Who is doing it, people? I mean, she's out there on those IG lives, interviewing educators who are becoming entrepreneurs, doing the work. She's also one herself. And as you check out her her Instagram, which you have to do, I'm you know I'm in and out on Instagram, right? I'm on there for a few weeks, then I'm off for months, but I'm hopefully I'm gonna be back on for good. But you check out her. Oh, man, just check out the profile, see all of the things she's doing, all of these videos. We're going to be talking about that work, about how do you as an educator start a tutoring business? Um, And to me right now, I don't know when is a hotter time to end the game with all that extra money out there and people talking about uh, this sort of uh, drop in learning that kids have been having so I, I think right now it's time to get them to make that money. So for those who be listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, Spotify, and Audible, will you please introduce yourself, Jennifer? Hi, thank you so much for having me, Dr. Will. So I am Jennifer Lemetra, and I am a classroom teacher of 10 years turned online tutor. Um, taught in the classroom for 10 amazing years, primarily in elementary school. Absolutely loved it. And then in 2018, I found myself suddenly unemployed. And that's actually how I got into tutoring because I was like, what can I do to, you know, generate some income? And teaching is truly at my core what I think I'm supposed to be doing. So I started tutoring just to generate income. I did end up getting a teaching job as well, but I chose to tutor and teach full time simultaneously for three years. And then this year, my tutoring business resigned me from the classroom. And so now I am a full-time edupreneur um, and just really enjoying it. Now I help other educators to start their own profitable and reputable tutoring businesses. Mm, you hear that people resign. That means the money was coming in. <laughs> so she was like, I'm out. Uh, so I'm always curious as to how people got to where they are. What did you think you would be doing when you were growing up? And how did you find yourself in a K-12 classroom? Oh, good question. To be honest, I think I always knew I was going to be a teacher. So fun fact, my middle name is Lemetra. That's not my last name. My middle name is Lemetra. And it actually means the master or the teacher in French. Right. And so I feel my family destined for me to be a teacher. However, even though I knew I wanted to be a teacher, like I would play school with my little brother and all those things when we were growing up. But you know, you get jaded as you get older. And as I got to college, people would say things like, you know, oh, you want to be a teacher? Ooh, bless your heart. You know, stuff like that. And it had me really second guessing myself. So for a moment, I did not declare my major as education. I chose to do psychology instead for a while. But I found my way right back to education and ended up graduating with, you know, a degree in early childhood education. So I think I always knew I was supposed to be an educator. It's what I believe I'm supposed to be doing here on earth um and that's how i ended up in a k through 12 or a specific k through five because my elementary school classroom mm. so you talked about 
earlier about sort of how you kind of got your way in there. But it's interesting because, you know, I'm starting to find a lot more educators becoming entrepreneurs, which I'm very happy about. Because I know when I first started this podcast, when I first started evangelizing educators doing that, a lot of educators were, were pushing back. They were like, well, why are you charging for lesson plans when that should be free? Or why are you doing this when that should be free? You know, we, you know, uh, you're talking about branding. We're educators. You know, what is all this about? And, you know, I, I always tell people that I never became an educator to drive a Bugatti, but I didn't become one to eat it, to live off bologna either. Mm. Right. You see what I'm saying? And because we are a field where you cannot negotiate your salary. Now, you know, superintendents and all those people probably, you know, can, but when you're at that basic school level, your salary is dictated by the state and local supplement and all that other stuff. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter what your uh, reviews are, what your evaluations are, you're going to still get the same amount of money that that teacher they put on an improvement plan. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> so, you know, when you think about, you know, again, bringing in extra income because our income is not current with people who have our level of education. You know, a lot of us out there, they're bartending, they're, they're working at JCPenney, you know, they're doing all these things with, you know, nothing against the retail job, but we got a master's degree. I don't know if that's something you want to be doing after school uh, because, again, your salary is capped. So when you were in the position or in a situation where you had to now seek out other means of income, tell us about how you actually got started with gym touring because there's a difference between sort of I have an idea of something and then actually doing it. Mm, really good question. So honestly, when I first started tutoring, it wasn't even gem tutoring yet. It was nameless for a year. Okay. I think it was like tutoring with Miss Jen or something like that. It was, it didn't have an identity because I wasn't taking it seriously enough yet. So I started again from need. I was up for a promotion within my school district. I was working for a public charter school and there was an opportunity in the central district office I interviewed, everyone was very confident I was going to get it. My school was very confident. They were so confident that they filled my teaching role while I was waiting to hear back. Well, the position that I interviewed for funding fell through. So now I didn't have a teaching job or a promotion, okay? And it was the start of my summer when I found out in 2018. I had ended the school year. I found out at the start of June. So of course I cried for like 48 hours. And then after that, I was like, okay, wait a minute, Jen, we gotta do something. And that's where I'm like, well, I don't. To me, I'm like, I don't think I have any other like marketable skills, right? Like I don't do website design. I don't do hair. <laughs> I don't do, I'm, I don't have anything I can do. I'm a teacher. And that's when I made my first um, teaching like website or no, I did a, a flyer on Canva. Just letting people know, hey, I'm a teacher. You know, I'm a tutor. What's up? And that's when it began. I got my first client. Um, and from there, the rest is, you know, history. It grew slowly. And then after a year of me realizing that it wasn't going to be just a little hobby, that's when I was like, let me go ahead and give it an actual name. So a friend of mine was the one that recommended I name it um, 
Gem. She originally wanted it to be Gem based on J-E-M, like Jennifer Enriching Minds. But then I told her, I'm like, I'm a whole tutor. I can't be misspelling words in my business name. <laughs> so <laughs> if it's going to be Gem Tutoring, it needs to be spelled properly. Um, and that's what literally inspired me. And since then, Gem Tutoring has been incredibly successful um, and has helped me to be able to now help other educators to do the same. Mm, that's all right. That's all right. So what's interesting is you're doing this. Now you're saying, okay, this is going to be real because, okay, I got coin coming in. So I'm going to make this real, real. Mm-hmm. Now, when you do that, you have to incorporate, right? You got to make this legit. So how did you learn about the business side, right? Business development, profit and loss, taxes, bookkeeping, and systems to where you actually had a business and not owning a second job? Yes. Oh, that's such a good question. One, I really believe in being a perpetual learner. I'm nerdy by nature. I always have been. So first thing I did was I got on YouTube, YouTube University, try to teach myself everything I could learn because I don't come from a family of entrepreneurs. So there weren't people around me who were like, oh, Jennifer, just do this, this, and this. I didn't have that luxury. So I was, I was essentially building the plane and flying it simultaneously, right? Trying to you know, build something that was successful, but also do things by the book. So I learned a lot. I bumped my head quite a few times. Um, But then eventually after I officially registered my business with, you know, the secretary of state from there, I got an amazing accountant for my business. And she also helped me to learn about taxes and profit and loss and what those things mean. And, you know, all of that. Um, And then eventually one thing I will say there are, certain, there are certain advantages of being a solopreneur for certain seasons of your business because you learn your business inside and out, right? Because I was the talent. I was the accountant for a minute. I was the brand designer. I was the website designer. I was the bookkeeper. <laughs> I was playing every role for the, first, for the first half of my business. And it allowed me to become familiar with what are the processes of my business, what systems do I need in place that can make this a little bit more, you know, seamless and automate things, right? Um, so I learned a lot of things from doing research, getting an accountant, but also being in the thick of it myself and having to realize how my business operates and knowing that I wanted to make sure it was legitimate, you know, experience on the back end as much as it was on the front end for my clients. And I'm glad you brought up an accountant because for those who We'll be listening to this episode. Don't get caught out in these streets with uh, H&R Block and TurboTax. You need a certified public accountant who knows the tax code, who can not only save you money, but educate you, right? As Jennifer said, educate you on, okay, when you buy this, this is deductible. When you plan to do this, this is deductible. So that helps you plan your business and make certain moves because you can say, wow, I can go to this conference. I can invest in this coach. I can do these things because I know that I can then turn around and deduct those and that'll help me out. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So you're doing this again. I love when educators do that, make that coin. So you're making your coin and you'll say, hey, I got to go bigger. I got to go bigger. I got to go where the money reside 
And now I got to go ahead and pivot and add to my business in terms of teaching other educators how to do this. What was the story behind the pivot? And tell us about the work involved in what you do. Yes. So honestly, my pivot was very organic. It wasn't something I'd planned. It wasn't even something, to be honest, that I was pursuing. As I was building up Gem Tutoring, I began showing my story on Instagram. So currently, you know, the page that you guys know is the Jennifer Lemetra, but it used to be my handle was Gem Tutoring, right? So a lot of people found me when I was simply showing my love for tutoring, promoting my tutoring business. And as it grew, my following grew, I started getting DMs, not from parents looking for tutors, but from educators trying to figure out how I was doing what I was doing. And I didn't mind answering. I would answer their DMs, but it became overwhelming at a point where I was getting some of the same questions all the time. And I realized, wait a minute, people are really interested in this and they really want to learn from me, right? Like they see what I'm doing and they are essentially trying to pick my brain, right? To figure out how can they do the same? So I was saying a lot of things, I was sharing things, all of that, but I'm like, you know what? I need to create a space where I can solely focus on giving educators the answers that they're seeking from me. Right, because of gem tutoring was only happening on the back end, but on the front end, all you saw that was front facing was me promoting gem tutoring. There were no tips, there was no support, there was nothing like that. So, honestly, my transition from being an online tutor into a tutor business mentor happened because my audience was making it clear to me that they wanted to learn from me, and then I created um, my coaching program. And speaking of that, going to the website, and it's nice, by the way. <laughs> okay <laughs> this wasn't i'm looking at the website like this wasn't you know i spent the weekend on wordpress this pad wow. boy is professional uh I, i'm seeing the tutoring blueprint mm-hmm. what is that so the tutors blueprint is a group coaching program where i help educators learn exactly how to have a solid foundation in building their tutoring business but also how to build a tutoring business they love. So we go over how to profit on purpose, how to promote with ease, how to package your services, how to really impact your students, right? I'm taking educators literally from point A to point Z and the essential steps they need in order to have a business that they run and not a business that runs them, right? And so that is something that was really important to me because I realized that some tutors, to be honest, even when you Google, even when you YouTube, you find some information, but it's very scattered, right? So you end up trying to piecemeal your way to success and no one has time for that. And so the Tudor's Blueprint accelerates educators' success because it gives them all their answers in one place, all of the lessons, all the modules, all of my templates, my brain as well, because we have live coaching calls every week. It's just been very supportive um, because I wanna see tutors win. That's what I've always said. I want to see educators win big and that mission has not changed. Um, so the Tutors Blueprint is one of the vehicles I utilize to help them do just that. And how do you work with educators with the mindset of the money, right? And so when you are a first-generation college graduate, right, particularly if you came from a background where money was scarce, you're the pers- first person person in your family to quote unquote make money but you're a teacher so you're making fifty thousand dollars 
Now, that's a whole lot of money from where you came from. But in reality, that ain't a whole lot of money. And right. so you now have family members mm-hmm. coming to you asking for a little change. Mama may call you up and say, hey, you know, I need that light bill taken care of. And so you're dealing with that. You're dealing with trying to pay your own bills. and I, But you're also trying to build your dream. And your whole mindset over money is, oh, I got to hold on to this. I don't know if I can make that investment. Uh, can I afford to make that investment? So when you are working with educators and they are really thinking about, hey, my finances are here, how do you get them to understand? What is your approach to let them know that in order for you to make those gains that you want to make, in order for you to get over that hump, in order for you to leave that experience of have not having behind there's just certain investments that you're going to have to make. Mm. When you were asking them, like, my goodness, because this is without a doubt is a real thing for educators because a lot of educators have a scarcity mindset, right? And it's because of the fact that we have subscribed to determining how much we're worth based on a salary scale that somebody else created, right? So when a lot of my clients come to me, they struggle in the beginning, right? They're looking, they're like, Jennifer, I just feel like I can't charge more than $20 an hour. I'm like, ma'am, you get paid more than $20 an hour as a teacher. So the fact that you're scared to put a higher hourly rate, we have to address the money mindset because so many educators really don't believe that being wealthy and being an educator can coexist. And that is something that I am trying to debunk. You don't flinch when somebody says, oh, that's a wealthy lawyer. Oh, that's a wealthy doctor. But if somebody says a wealthy educator, you're like, that's an oxymoron. What you talking about? You know what I mean? Like, we don't even want, like, we don't think they can live together. And so when it comes to educators who get nervous, a lot of times it's because they do not believe that they can generate money to replace what they use. But if we really, look at, if we really took an inventory of our money, you're going to spend the money anyway. So you need to decide if you're going to spend your money on something that's going to yield a return. Or are you going to spend your money frivolously on things that are going to deteriorate, right? And that is something that when I speak to clients and they're like, oh, I'm scared to make this investment. I remind them, I'm like, well, essentially, isn't it the same thing you did with college? You paid a tuition to receive information with the hopes that you would get a job afterwards. Not a promise, with the hopes that you would get a job upon graduation. You've already done this before. You're actually not new to this, right? But see, college has been packaged as a natural next step. But furthering your learning, a lot of teachers wait for their schools to pay for professional development. They wait for somebody else to sign them up for professional development. And it's like, really? Because nobody signed you up for college, but you went. And so maintaining that momentum, because here's the thing. What I've realized, if I'm honest, is that a lot of people, they're not so much scared of making the investment. They actually don't trust themselves. They don't trust themselves to do the work required to see a return on the investment. Because at this point, it's not a question about whether or not, you know, if you're, for example, for those who work with me, these are clients who actually have worked with me. This is what they've said. They did not question whether or not I was going to make good on my promise. 
They didn't question if I was going to teach them everything they need to know about building a profitable, reputable tutoring businesses. They questioned if they had time. They questioned if they could do it. They questioned if people would book them for services. Do you see what I'm saying? It was more of a lack of trust in themselves that kept them on the fence. And so once we address just regaining the confidence that maybe for some people, the school district stripped them of, because for some people, that's where they lost their confidence. You know, maybe you got a bad evaluation or maybe you get, got a lower score than what you thought you deserved or whatever the case may be. Now you're questioning if you're a good educator. And it's like, wait a minute, you're dope. Like, why are you questioning yourself, you know? Um, so the money mindset is definitely layered for sure. But what I try to remind educators is that you actually are not a novice to investing in furthering your education right? You've already done it before. So just continue to do it. And I'm glad you said that because I have found that educators will, as you mentioned earlier, they'll get that master's degree. They'll get the specialist. They'll get the doctorate. But if you're just having a conversation with them and you say, you know, hey, you know, there's this great certification program that can be useful to you. They're like, what? Or you say, hey, you know, there's this uh, course online that you can take that can help you gain these additional skills about how to teach online. Or, you know, if you bought that iPad, you can then learn how to make instructional videos in your classroom. But then again, once you go get those receipts, you can turn that into a business. And I have educators go, the district need to buy me an iPad. I'm not going to be doing that or I'm not going to take this course because in their mind, they're stuck on the job, right? Mm -hmm. And I tell educators, your job, where you work at, that's your job, but that's not your career. And your career is something that you need to take control over because your district is not going to care about that. Mm -hmm. It's very, very true. And I think, I really want educators to reclaim their authority, right? And reclaim the fact that you are the captain of your ship, right? And I bet to me, there's two types of educators typically, right? There are the victors, right? And then there are the ones that have a victim mindset, right? So for example, something I always tell people is that when you are in a classroom, you're either the thermostat or the thermometer. You don't get to be both. Either you are setting the temperature of your classroom or you're only reflecting it. So I remember coaching, I used to be a grade level chair for one of my, um, one of the schools I worked in. And I remember coaching my teachers on my team. And they'd be like, oh, I just can't teach because of this student and this is happening. Da, 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 da. I am not minimizing that because sometimes there are legitimate environmental issues happening within the school building, okay? However, I always call educators to reflect first, right? Look in the mirror before you look out the window, right? It's easy to look out and be like, here's what I see, but look back at yourself just for a moment and ask yourself, are you going to be the captain of this class? Like when I was in the classroom, I used to tell them, I am the queen of this castle. You don't get to come in here and do like, no, I am the queen, okay? We can coexist, but you will not run this classroom, okay? We're gonna be collaborators. We are going to be partners in your academic journey. You will not <laughs> run this whole ship. And so 
I really try to encourage educators who have that mindset of like, they're sitting back waiting for life to happen to them as opposed to standing up and taking life by its range and deciding here are the actions I'm going to take. It's not an overnight thing, right? But you laid the brick, you built the wall. It's those small steps you're taking that you look up one day like, wow, I'm here now. And unfortunately, your district may not always have you as their priority in thinking about furthering your success. So if they're not going to advocate for you, you for doggone sure need to advocate for yourself, right? Because you have the degree, you have the experience, you have the passion. Why are we waiting for somebody who isn't even in the classroom to tell you, oh, you deserve to continue to learn and grow? Why would that power be placed in somebody else's hands? Right? No, I don't know. I, hey, I hear you. Look, I went and gained two Canvas certifications that I paid for myself. And I took a pay for another online uh, and blended learning course for me, because for me, it's about my learning. Now, what mm-hmm. I learned will benefit the district, mm-hmm. but I'm thinking about I'm not going to be there forever. When I'm ready to go, I want to go. Absolutely. Right. So I want to have these skills in my toolbox that are going to help me go when I'm ready to go. I don't want to be like. Hey, I want to do this, but I can't do this. I don't know how to do this or I'm not prepared to do this. So I mean, that's one of the things where I definitely put it on myself to go. Let me learn as much as I as I can so that I don't have to worry about that because it's crazy, you know, just being, you know, Again, I have a pretty good district in terms of certain conferences that I want to go to. They'll send me, but they're also, you know, very job, you know, job specific related. So I make sure I take advantage of that. But not everyone has a school district that will do that or have the funding to do that. Mm -hmm. So that you, as you said, need to make sure that you take take upon yourself and also you know, you had Aaron, uh, you know, you, y'all do doing that IG live. Right. And hey, I had her on my show as well. And this is something I will tell uh, and y'all, you know, she talked about this. But this is something I also tell teachers is. Whatever PD your district offers. You need to take advantage of. Because you're learning on their diet. Right. So if they want to bring in Orton Gillingham training, if they want to do ready training, if they want to do Saxon training, if they're going to be bringing in Promethean people to do X, Y, and Z, you, hey, you get that training because when you're ready to go, whether it's starting your own business or you're ready to go to an ed tech company or somewhere else, you have all of these skills that you have learned and have all these receipts that you on their dime. That part, that part, right? We really sleep on these opportunities because sometimes opportunities come disguised as extra work. And it's like, go do the thing because these are things you get to add to your resume. These are extra tools in your toolbox, right? And so I completely agree. To be honest, that's one thing for me, Dr. Will, where I got two years of Orton Gillingham training, which only further helped me to not only serve my scholars within my classroom well, but it also helped me to serve my two T's in my tutoring business, right? 
it's something that I know makes me highly marketable as a tutor because parents want OG certified tutors, you know? And so absolutely, whatever you can learn, be committed to just being a lifelong learner. I feel like as teachers, that should be almost a default setting for most of us. We should always be learning. I am addicted to learning. And I think that's why I became a teacher. I really, I just enjoy that kind of stuff, right? So maybe it's the nerd in me, I don't know, but I like that. So absolutely, if your district or your school is offering things, because I came from a great school, the school I resigned, I have no qualms with. Amazing team, amazing, all of that, right? So I was fortunate for mine not to be like a horror story exit, you know? Um, but because of my experience there, I was able to learn so much because I went to professional development. You know, I signed up on those planning days that they had to sign signing up for other stuff, you know? And so, um, yeah, take advantage for sure. All right. So, you know, all of us have gone through this pandemic over these past two years, and it's been a rough shot for a lot of people, mental health wise and teachers who never used technology in the classroom were now thrust upon, yo, you ain't got no choice. But one of the interesting things about it is a lot of ESSA money came through the door. Millions of ESSA ESSA monies that came through and other states as well say, yo, on top of this, on top of the ESSA, as a state, we got some more money for you. When educate when you you're talking about your clients and people setting up tutoring businesses and we're again we're talking about the loss of learning that we keep hearing about what is the market like for tutors so i have found that parents are desperately seeking you know academic support for their for those children the past now, oh my goodness, almost two years of this pandemic, which is wild to think about. Um, it has been an adjustment for everyone. And part of not only have teachers had to get comfortable with, you know, technology, parents had to as well. Now, one of the pros of that is that parents became more open to virtual learning. They may not have been fans of it all the time, but they got more open to it. They understood that it was another option which really opened up the market for virtual tutors. Because now parents understand that learning can look different. It doesn't have to only happen within the four walls of a school building. Now people are looking into learning pods, right? They're hiring teachers to bring them into their homes <laughs> to support their children. Everything changed when it came to how families view learning. I've seen parents who never considered homeschooling before considering it now. You know, the learning pods taking place, virtual tutoring support. So honestly, the market has been amazing for tutors because even with, to your point, the teachers who were kind of catapulted into having to use technology, it was a rough ride for some of them because they didn't have a chance to have six months of training first, right? Life happened. We all had to adapt very quickly. So we were all stumbling in, in the spotlight, right? We were all stumbling in the spotlight together, just trying to do our best. So for parents, they realized, okay, teachers are doing their best, but my kid needs more, okay? My kid needs more. They began looking outside of the school for the more, whatever that looked like for them. So as a result, 
for gem tutoring, we ended up making the most profit during the pandemic. That was when we had a wait list. That's when I had to hire a team of tutors to work for me because the demand grew to be so great during the pandemic. Parents were not playing. They were looking for support and they needed people who were already comfortable teaching online. They needed people who thought differently, didn't have to subscribe to a pacing calendar that the school had to, because they're like, listen, my kid's falling behind, but I know, the, I know the teacher has to teach certain stuff, right? Well, the tutor doesn't have to do that. The tutor can slow it down for your scholar that way that we can catch them up to speed. So the market was, listen, we are winning, okay? We are, we are winning. <laughs> mm, I love, I love hearing that. I love hearing that so much. Oh, mm. let me take a moment. Okay. When the money coming in like that, I love it. I love, hey, people, hopefully you're watching this, 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 episode, this episode, you're listening to this episode, you're already in the game and you had that, that, that taste. You had that taste, but that first check, and that's what blew my mind because I never even thought of becoming a business, even anything. I was just at a conference and this assistant superintendent approached me and we were just having a conversation. I was telling about what, you know, the job I do as an instructional technologist for the district. And he, all of a sudden he said, Hey, do you kind of, do you do this? I said, what, for other school districts? He's like, yes. And then he came to one of my sessions mm. and I was like, is this like a job interview? He was like, yeah. And then after the session, he said, we will be in touch. Mm. And when I got that first check, people, what? It was an eight hour Google session with CTE teachers at his district. And again, it was just my first job. Had never done it, never done it before. I got paid $2,300 and it was years ago. And I was like, I did that in eight hours? Because I don't make that in eight hours at, at my job. Say it again for the people <laughs> in the back. Say it again. Right? You know, at the school district, I don't make $2,300 for eight hours for a whole day of work. So... Like that was my first paid gig. And I was like, oh, oh, is this how this working? And Dr. Will, that's where I, th I wish, oh, I wish more educators got to have moments like that. When you realize that money is fluid, right? As opposed to fixed, right? Because in our minds, it's fixed. I remember working for a district where I got paid one time a month. So I got very good with money very quickly because budgeting had to listen. If you didn't budget that last week of the month, you was eating ramen noodles and cereal. Okay. <laughs> so I had to get very good with my money. The first time I had a tutoring client pay me $2,000 for eight hours for the month, every month for 10 months, one client, the game changed. Cause now my idea of what I'm supposed to make, what is possible. It changes. I, I can't wait. And my goal and my ambition is that more educators experience getting paid well for their time so that they never lower the bar on themselves again. Because I'm sure that experience for you made you go, wait, eight hours? And you gave me, for real? What? Like it, it does something to how you view your time. 
It really does. It does, especially given the fact that I was doing what I did at my nine to five. So this wasn't extra, right? This was <laughs> this wasn't me <laughs> coming with a whole new new plan or me, you know, doing something extra. This was me delivering the same type of training that I do in my school district anyway, right? I just had to, again, sort of make it fit to what they were doing specifically as CTE teachers. But in terms of how you use Google uh, Drive and all of that stuff, it was the same, it's the same stuff. So I was like, oh my, oh, I, I was like, okay, that's how we doing it now. And from there, I was like, I'm hooked now. I'm hooked now, you know, and the, the summer was good too. Uh, so that's all I'm saying. Like, you know, when stuff like that happens, I'm like, oh, let's do this. And this is why I want other educators who may have some sort of pushback sometimes on why should I do this? And I'm thinking, okay, again, there's nothing wrong with you having a job and, you know, taking a part-time job somewhere because legit work is legit work. I don't clown nobody for that. And I know entrepreneurship ain't for everybody. But my thought is, why would you work a retail gig after school when you know that workday is a workday as as an educator, right? And then your summers or your weekends, right? You're spending all of this time doing that. And I understand why you would do that because of the income. But why would you work for someone else? Mm-hmm. when you can work for yourself that's it you know and that's my thing you can work for yourself and even and not work as hard because even if you said to yourself okay i just need an extra ten thousand dollars and my whole life will change well you don't have to work 365 days to get that extra three extra ten thousand dollars you don't you really don't you could actually probably do it in 30 days but that's a whole different conversation <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you, see, she talking about, okay, she got the Brinks, she got the Brinks truck going on over there. Okay. So I'm going to have to have more conversations with Miss LaMetro over there because <laughs> she is on that level right there. So you have your clients and when you're working with them, what is the startup costs associated with launching a tutoring business? Because again, people, when people are, when you start talking about, hey, I got to make this side hustle, I'm going to do all this thing. People start having all kinds of thoughts in their minds of it's going to cost me, you know, $10,000, $5,000, whatever to start up without even really knowing the exact costs. Yeah. Honestly, tutoring is one of the things where it's an incredibly low startup cost especially if you're already in the classroom. If you're already in the classroom, you have the advantage of already honestly having resources that you've probably made for your class that you can just end up using in your tutoring business, right? Like as teachers, we're not, we're not strangers to spending money for our students to learn, right? So you probably already have the materials, it's just now you're taking them home and using them with your students, right? In your tutoring business. Also, if you don't have a tutoring center, you don't have overhead costs. You're not paying rent for anything. Tutors, typically, there's one of three places they're going to be. They're either going to have their own space, maybe like an office in their home where two T's can come to them. 
Perhaps they commute. They might be commuting to the homes of their two T's. Maybe they're meeting at a public place like a library. In all those settings, you're not paying an additional cost, right? If it's in your home, you're paying the same amount you would have been paying anyway, but you're getting paid, right? And so the startup costs are really low. At most, you're probably spending money on materials or maybe certain programs you want to decide to utilize in your tutoring business. But beyond that, you're not having to spend, you know, some wild amount. I mean, I've seen tutors start their tutoring businesses for less than $200, right? But then easily go, and, and the reason I say that's because you're going to register your business, so that costs money. So that, but besides that, buying a few materials, really, you can kind of just start. You don't have to worry about some wild fees. And then as you grow, you decide to start investing more in learning more. And that's where things like the tutor's blueprint come in, where you can make sure that you're actually laying a solid foundation so that way we can make sure that you're not, you know, running in circles for two years. Instead, you can actually start building up that real profitable business. And how do educators, and here's one thing that I think you need to learn very quickly. How do they know which jobs to say no to? Because in the beginning, that you may, you look, in the beginning, you could be like, I'm just trying to hustle to get this money. But at a certain point, you got to say no, because not every kid is going to be right for you. Not every circumstance is going to be right for you. So what is the process for that tutor to sort of sit back and say, okay, these are the jobs that are perfect for me, that I can excel in, that I can leverage for other opportunities versus mm -mm, I'm going to have to respectfully decline. So that again, they don't get into that mindset of, remember we talked about the scarcity mindset earlier of they're just saying, look, I got to take everything. I got to take everything. I got to take everything. But understanding that that's not the way to even run a successful business, let alone grow a successful business. Absolutely. One thing that I think is important is becoming incredibly clear about what your values are, right? So what are the values of your business, right? What is the mission of your business? And anything that's not in alignment, we reject. And it's as simple as that, right? So for example, um, if you know that you value integrity, like integrity is one of my core values for my coaching business, which means I don't say I can if I can't. I don't say yes if I mean no. I don't do any of that. So, and I also value teachers who actually have experience teaching. So there have been people who would reach out to work with me and I would ask them, you know, talk to me more about, you know, what motivates you, all this. As, and listen, listen. And I was in some educators and then I listened, I'm like, I, I don't think you like kids. Like, how are you trying to be a tutor, but you don't like kids? And in that moment, because integrity is one of my core values, I said no, because I don't feel like it's in integrity for me to teach you how to build a profitable and successful business when other people's children are going to come tap you on the shoulder and you don't even enjoy working with them. Do you see how that's out of alignment? Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think for a lot of educators is identifying what do you care about and what do you value? If you value timeliness, and you keep dealing with somebody who's always late to your sessions. Well, we got to say no, because one of your values is punctuality. And this person is not in alignment. 
right? And so figuring out what you value will help you to very quickly identify what you will give your time and energy to versus what you will not. And it's okay to say no. The reason I think it's important to identify your values earlier is because otherwise you may do some things out of desperation. People do weird things when they're desperate for money, okay? So you want to make sure that you are clear on the front end about what you desire for your business. It's yours. You get to decide. You get to choose what you want your business to look like. And anything that's contrary to that, give yourself permission to say, you know what? I don't think that's for me at this time. And it's okay. And trust and believe that what is supposed to actually be for you is on its way, you know? Mm. So... I found you on IG and this is what is important because I believe every educator, whether you're going to become an entrepreneur or not, needs to have a digital footprint that shapes the narrative of who they want other people to know, Mm -hmm. right? You don't want to be caught out there where if someone does a Google search, the only thing that pops up is pictures from Cabo. So I tell every educator, create a blog create a YouTube channel, vlog, do something to where you are in charge of what content comes out because of of what you want them to tell. But you're doing this thing. And what I love about it, again, you're providing value, uh, great graphics, all of these things. How are, and then you're doing these lives again. I saw, I caught that live coaching session today. And then you're having on people like, like Aaron Cotman on, how are you using IG as a platform to not only create content and provide value uh, that shapes the narrative of what you want people to see once they start Googling your name, but use it as a way to build that like, know, and trust factor with potential clients as those educators start to find you on IG? Yes. One thing I noticed that what is lacking typically for a lot of um, tutors specifically, I'll say, is sometimes we can fall on two extremes. Either our pages are very personal and no one really knows what it is you do because you're not promoting your services or it's very professional and nobody knows who you are because you won't show your face, (laughs) right? So I try to encourage people to humanize their brand, especially as tutors, Because people are considering putting their children in front of you. If you want to eliminate stranger danger, you need to make sure you're not scared to introduce yourself. Let people see who you are, see your personality, see what you're like so that they can decide, do I like this person? Do I feel like like I know them? Can I trust them? And that's where that expert content comes in. So I teach my clients in the Tutors Blueprint how to create authority building content. There are certain types of posts that do it for you. Mm. I can get off of Instagram for a week and still have applications come through to work with me because the content that I put on my page provides value, but it also shows that I am an expert in this field and that I do know what I am talking about. I'm not freestyling or anything. I know my stuff. So positioning where you humanize your brand while simultaneously putting your expertise out there enough where people don't have to wonder if you're an expert. I think you find a nice balance of both is when you'll see your platform grow and be able to get those clients in the door. Mm, My IG is off. I don't know what to do. I'm just on there just posting stuff 
Uh, that's why I'm on there like a couple of weeks. Then I'm off for like six months because I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. Don't post the ghost. You post the ghost and then people are like, wait, where's Dr. Will? <laughs> it's happened. I'm sorry. I just thought I'd do it. So I want to throw this out there to you because I know it's not part of the questions there. And I know we're running out of time, but you said that you're doing this full time. Yes. And I'm glad, I'm so, so happy for you. Cause the money was like that, like I'm out. And, but there are gonna be some educators who they're gonna get, they're gonna think, yo, I wanna do this uh, full time. But when you walk away from the school district, what you don't have, aside from the check, okay? You don't have the bennies. Mm-hmm. right you don't have the bennies and i can tell you right now in mississippi our benefits are amazing people might not think it but the governor the state legislature they got the same health care pro- program that we got everybody who worked for the state on the same program so things are real nice over here in these woods mm-hmm. and so as i've been looking at you right now and I've been checking out your IGs and your photos. I can't help but to see your crest smile going on. <laughs> and I'm wondering, how does a full-time entrepreneur pay for those benefits like dental and healthcare vision when, when you're working for the school district, that stuff is just given to you and pay for, or you pay for a certain percentage of it, but that's stuff that you don't necessarily have to work for. I mean, wait, I mean, concern yourself with, particularly if you are at a good school district. Now, New Jersey, some of them places, that stuff is like a wild, wild west over there. But other places, you know, you may pay, we pay, I pay $40 a month mm-hmm. for, for my health insurance. So how, how do you navigate, how do you and others navigate those waters knowing that, okay, now, a certain percentage of my income has to go in these areas. How do you actually find that for yourself? Such a good question. Um, In my experience for myself and talking to other entrepreneurs, it, there's different ways around this. Some people have spouses, so they might be on their spouse's healthcare plan, even if they, you know, have left the classroom or whatever the case may be. Um, Some people might be on a family plan with their parents or whatever the case may be. And in the event that you are, a solopreneur truly, then that's where depending on the state that you're located and you will look into what healthcare options there that are there, right? So yes, the benefits look different. One thing is that school districts, they get the benefit of being able to have really low costs because they have high value. Because they have so many people who are signing up for insurance, there are certain discounts that they get that you're right. You don't get when it's just you because insurance unfortunately still hello, President Biden, is it free? Okay. I don't understand when we're going to get there, but until then, right, we have to kind of make ends meet. And so for me personally, I did start having to do research on healthcare plans and things that look good. And in some cases, like, of course, there's still um, like the marketplace, things that you can look up based on your income is going to vary. That is one of the costs that you do have to consider right? You don't have to be without insurance. You don't have to be without benefits, but it's going to look different because yes, it's coming out of pocket now. However, when you're a strategic entrepreneur, 
that you know how to price yourself in a way where you don't feel that cost as much, right? You understand like, okay, it's coming out in your mind, assume it's like another cell phone bill or assume it's, it's something you're gonna pay for like anyway, right? Because when you're, I personally don't mind paying an extra $70 a month. So if it was $40 and now it's a hundred or whatever, okay, I have my time though. So that's the thing that is it for me invaluable. I will pay out of pocket for healthcare. And it is also different depending on, do you have pre-existing health concerns, right? Because if you do, that's something to factor in. If you know that you regularly need to make sure that you're maintaining your health by going to a doctor's office or getting certain prescriptions, yes, that's going to look different in what insurance is going to look like for you. So I think this is a very multi-layered question, but it's so unique to each individual depending on their current health status, you know, what their business is and how much they make to see if they can afford it. And that's where opportunity costs comes in. You decide, is this worth it? right? Are you willing to pay out of pocket this much amount every single month? Or is it just easier to make more sense to stay within a classroom where you don't have to think about it as much, right? And so it's a trade-off. Like you're in the classroom, you don't have to think about insurance. You're out of the classroom, you don't have to think about staff meetings. <laughs> like whatever it is, you decide what you don't feel like thinking about. I am willing to do this work and so far so good. I've been able to work things out where I am covered, my family is covered, we're good, you know? And so, um, but it is a journey, it's definitely a conversation. And there are entrepreneurs who, you know, get really creative with what um, route they go with. Some choose like holistic route when it comes to insurance plans they have, because there, there are like holistic companies. Um, some get, what is it called? I'm gonna butcher it. I wanna say it's like emergency or like catastrophic insurance where they basically just have insurance for like worst case scenario. If something really pops off and I go to the hospital, I have an insurance plan just for that, but they pay out of pocket for their like regular care. So it just, it really varies, but that's what I would say about that. All right, right. That's the first time I've ever asked that question uh, because I, quite honestly, I've never even thought about it because for me, I plan to stay, I won't side money. So I plan to stay either yeah. the school district or work for the state or a university and then have that extra money uh, because full-time entrepreneurship, I know it ain't for me. I like to know that if I show up, I'm getting paid. Even if they fired me at the end of the month, they're going to pay me for the days I showed up. Yeah. And the entrepreneurship situation is if you ain't got no clients, you ain't got no money coming in. <laughs> so I, I know better for me. Uh, so yeah. before we go, and this has been an awesome conversation. Thank you uh, for coming on the show today. Uh, what is the best piece of advice that you've received from an, another entrepreneur? Mm -hmm. And what is your advice for those educators who are thinking about maybe becoming a consultant, uh, launching a tutoring business, becoming an author, but literally taking their classroom experiences, their knowledge base, and monetizing it? Probably one of the best pieces of advice I've received from another um, entrepreneur is your identity is not in your business. And I think that that's important because if you begin to believe that how your business is performing is an indicator of your value, you can go down a rabbit hole really quickly because to your point, entrepreneurship you know, when you're first starting off, it ebbs and flows, right? 
And not just entrepreneurship, honestly, life does that, right? Life teaches us with the seasons that things bloom and then they die. They bloom and they die on an annual basis. We are used to seeing things go in cycles. And if you attach your identity to the success or lack thereof of your business, that can be really dangerous, right? In the same way, if you attach your identity to people's praises or their criticism. So I learned very quickly that my business, although I do care about it and I value it, it is not my identity, right? I have inherent worth because God says I have inherent worth, right? So it's not about, oh, did you, did you like my post? No, okay, so I don't have any value. That's dangerous. So that's definitely a piece of advice. A piece of advice that I would say is valuable that I give any entrepreneur is something I mentioned earlier, lay the brick, build the wall. Sometimes we get so focused on the end result that we get paralyzed. We're like, I'm not there yet. Why don't I have a full skyscraper yet? It's like, wait a minute. How about you just focus on laying this one brick just for today, lay the brick, the wall will come and then the building and then the skyscraper. But it's those small actions that we find insignificant that end up leading to those more larger results. But if you won't even start with just laying brick by brick, you never get to see where you could have been. And I personally don't like the feeling of wondering what if, right? And so lay the brick, build the wall, and your identity is not tied to your business. Mm. That's how you close out a show. Uh, thank you again, Jennifer, for coming on and dropping so many gems. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Well, I really enjoyed this conversation. You are welcome. Now, people, you know how I do this. This podcast episode is going to be an Apple podcast, Google podcast, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, Spotify, and Audible. I need you to subscribe and share it with your network. And though I am on all major podcast platforms, I am trying to grow on Apple Podcasts. So I need you to not only subscribe, but listen and leave me some reviews. I like the stars, people, but put some words behind it. Tell the folks what you like about it, because I'm not only trying to be found, but I'm trying to get Oprah on the show. And I want her to know that I'm doing big things around here. Again, I'd like to thank my guest, Jennifer Lemitra, for coming on and dropping so many gems, people. So many gems. Well, I'm telling you, I need to open up a Patreon for this episode because it was popping. <laughs> Possibly. It's just Lemetra, right? Lemetra, Lemetra. All right, people, said it right. Lemetra, Jennifer Lemetra. See, it was in my mind. I ain't said it right. It was yet again, Jennifer Lemetra. Go find her on, on IG. Check her out. She's doing so many things. And there's going to be links to where you can find her go to her website and sign up to become that tutor and go get your coin as always people i want to thank you again for checking out another episode of the dr will show the mobile university for entrepreneurs as always people invest in you edu peace <laughs>